Now, three years ago, a family walked into our church in Vancouver, and they were contemplating a cross-continent move from Boone, North Carolina, to Vancouver, where he eventually would take up the position as the Butler Preaching Chair at the Vancouver School of Theology. And on that first Sunday, as I got to know our, our message bearer today, I was immediately taken by his, uh, his charisma and, and just his joy and hope. Um, and as I got to know him more, I got to know his intellect, incredible intellect, and, but very down to earth. And I knew that he would be someone I could count on because when he came uh, to after that first Sunday, uh, he was immediately impressed by my one and only time that I ever played a banjo. <laughs> and so I could call him my friend. So today, it's uh, my joy and privilege to invite Jason Biasey forward. Uh, he's, uh, he's from North Carolina and, and a Duke Blue Devils fan. So there's some here. And uh, he and his wife, uh, Jalen, have three boys, Sam, Jack, and Will. And uh, we're just glad, I'm just glad to have a, a, a familiar face to be here on this wonderful occasion. Thanks, man. So when Andrew uh, played that banjo, my family took it as a sign from God that uh, God really wanted us to move to this city. <laughs> and then uh, we told him later, hey, it's amazing you play the banjo. I mean, what were the odds of that? And he said, I don't. They literally just told me to pick it up and strum it and pretend like I was playing it. So uh, either we were misled or uh, God used a strange uh, means. And you got to forgive Andrew, he's new to basketball country. So when you bring up Duke near the University of Maryland, like people get angry about these sorts of things. So I understand I will be well behaved. Uh, and I'm just delighted to be here for this installation of Andrew Chung. So I, I bring greetings from the people of God in Vancouver, British Columbia, where I live and Andrew served until recently. So Pastor Ken Shigematsu and all of 10th Church also sends their blessings. But we're a little mad at you for stealing Andrew and his family away. The neighborhood and the church are a little emptier now, but this place is more full, and the whole church will be blessed through it. I'm delighted to see this place in its fullness and to bear blessings from another church, 10th, another country, Canada, another denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This is all a sign of our oneness in Christ. Uh, that Jesus knits us together across surprising boundaries and says, you're my family, and I want all the world to be my family. I'm among those who've seen and benefited from Andrew's gifts for ministry. I've seen him tell stories in a smoky bar. I've seen him talk about Jesus to people who are brand new and maybe hostile to faith. I've seen him be electric at the microphone and I've seen him be intimate one-on-one -on -one in ministry to somebody at one of the extremes of life. He's comfortable in front of thousands, and he's comfortable listening carefully to just one person. I've seen him parent well, and ski well, and teach well, and befriend well, and pastor well. You have chosen well. My fellow Vancouverites and I see God's calling on his life to lead and preach here, and so we delight with you. Congratulations on this Wonderful choice you've made, and may God richly bless your ministry here for many years, Andrew. Now, I'm a Methodist, and we don't have installation services, so I had to go doing a little research, 
And I found this one that I think must have interested you from Exodus 28. You got a glimpse of how different translations can be, right? Uh, uh, they tell us we should all learn Hebrew, uh, maybe uh, in the world to come. So in this story, of course, Aaron and his sons are made priests in Israel, and God tells them what to wear in God's presence, which is a way of telling them how to be in God's presence as priests. Now, Andrew is not a priest. I am not a priest. Tenth church has no priests. Methodism has no priests. Mennonites, I'm told, have no priests. Pentecostals, such as those Andrew worked with before in Vancouver, have no priests. Presbyterians, like the ones who trained Andrew's father, have no priests. So I did a little background with Israel, which has priests. And I asked some Christian friends from churches that have priests, help me understand this priest thing. So a priest conducts traffic between heaven and earth. Helps communication happen between God and God's people, God's world. A priest mediates. Where we get our word media comes from this. A priest is a conduit between two points that wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate otherwise. So a priest mediates the presence of God to the people in preaching and mediates the presence of the people to God in prayer. So a priest physically stands between heaven and earth. Now, all those denominations I mentioned don't have priests out of a certain reading in the New Testament that says Christ alone is our priest. So that's a title just for him. But then we go on and say, you and I should be priests to one another. That is, there's not a role called priest set aside for one special religious professional. It's actually something we all do for our friends and our neighbors and our enemies. We go to God on their behalf. And then they come to God or to us, on God's behalf. And so we're constantly listening to others for grace and mercy and wisdom. Christ is the one who mediates in his person God to us and us to God. And you just heard what Israel did to consecrate her priests, Aaron and his sons forever. So the best craftspeople in Israel were charged to make the priests clothing, special clothes for work in the temple. These were made from every color that they could use in the ancient world, especially the costly ones, gold and blue and purple and crimson and more gold and yet more gold and a little extra gold. Uh, ancient Christians and Jews found great symbolism in these colors, but don't let me fool you, nobody really knows what all of this stuff means. So I can explain a little of it to you, but it's a little bit like explaining a joke or a poem. Like, don't let me explain it away. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be mystery. It's supposed to be delightful. It's supposed to be glorious. But here's some of what we've said. Blue for the sky, for virtue, for later Christians, the Virgin Mary. Crimson for our sins and for the blood that cleanses us from sins. Gold for God's presence. And then extra gold because you can never have enough of God's presence. So I was in a worship service in Uganda once, and the dancing and the feasting went on from like hour three to hour four. And I looked over at my host with a look that said, like, when do we get out of here? And she kind of patted me and said, uh, in Uganda, in church, more is more. <laughs> so I prepared myself for another few hours, right? Uh, and in the Bible... More is more. Now look, 
I imagine Mennonites in Washington getting nervous at this point. In this town, more is already more. (laughs) And there's already too much showiness, I think it's safe to say. All three branches of the U.S. government within walking distance, each dressing in fine frumpery and prancing around to signify their importance. It'd be funny if it wasn't so difficult. Israel also noticed that its neighbors dressed in ways that were supposed to show off status. Egypt had priests. Pharaoh dressed like a god. So Israel's dress is supposed to signify something different. Not self-importance, but service, actually. The priest was actually barefoot, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Because, see, shoes are made out of leather. So to make a shoe out of leather, you have to kill something. And in the Garden of Eden, there was no death. Therefore, no shoes. The priests are part of God recreating the garden in the temple. A foretaste of the new creation that God is bringing for the entire cosmos. And so the priests can't wear shoes. And by the way, none of us will in the second coming. I hate to break this to you if you're a shoe person. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. I can't explain it, but... There it is. The tabernacle and then the temple is Eden restored. A little piece of paradise where all creatures flourish and no creature eats or kills any other. This is paradise. Washington politics, not so much, it's safe to say. So the temple is supposed to be a challenge, not a copy like the church is supposed to be. Now the priest also wears a breastplate with semi-precious jewels. I think we have images of this. Can I see behind me? There we are. So this is Chagall's representation of Aaron and Moses. This next one is a sculpture from the Renaissance. And then the next one is back to Chagall. No one knows for sure what these jewels were. The Hebrew just says a purple one, and a green one, and a red one, and a blue one. And so the translators are guessing. This whole text is a strange combination of like too many specifics and too few at the same time. But the point is clear enough. The priest wears these jewels over his heart. Each jewel has a name of one of the tribes of Israel inscribed in it. Judah and Benjamin and Simeon and Dan. Good tribes and bad tribes. Tribes that don't exist anymore and tribes that do. Each with its brilliance. And together they make a brilliance unimaginable, the very light of God. My Old Testament teacher, Ellen Davis, sees in jewel cutting an image for discipleship. You take a stone that's already beautiful, and then you chip away at it. You cut away at it, and it becomes more beautiful. And then you polish it, and you smooth it, and you set it in a stone to show off its brilliance for everyone. That's what God does with us as disciples. Chip things away and polish things away and make us more, the more beautiful self we're intended to be from the beginning. The priest wears us on his heart in prayer. Every time the priest is in God's presence, the priest is praying. And our name is on the stone before God who knows our needs and is eager to meet them. So Andrew, whatever else you do in this role... You will pray for your people. You'll wear them on your heart before God. And then when you go into God's presence to study the scriptures, 
you'll think about them as you do so and come back and shine God's light to them in an infinite myriad of ways. Church, please promise to pray in return for Andrew, for his family. He needs it. His family needs it. Scripture's clear it's a dangerous thing to go into God's presence. And he goes there on your behalf. So you go there also on his behalf. Andrew, wear your people proudly in God's presence. They shine, and so do you. The text says this whole breast piece is for judgment. This is not normally a happy word in our parlance, but biblically speaking, judgment is great news. Judgment, the psalmist says, separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Judgment makes us fully human, fully alive. It's great news. Now, the priest's clothes are not just a visual feast. They're an auditory experience. The priest wears bells. The text says this is to keep from startling God so that God doesn't actually strike the priest dead. I told you it was dangerous in God's presence. Uh, forever, I've, when people invite me to stuff, I've said I'll be there with bells on. I mean, I guess this is where that comes from. Like, I had no idea how dangerous a thing I was promising people, Right? Now we all know where it comes from. It's a reminder of the danger of God's presence. Andrew, your family is known for producing pastors. The Chung Blessing, it is called. Six pastors in two generations of one family. One of your forebears died fighting with Sun Yat-sen as a communist against corrupt monarchy. You want to combine love for Jesus with nation building. Those are two dangerous things. That's brave. And so you're no stranger to the dangerous presence of God. Welcome to Washington. Wear bells. (laughs) The priest has inside the vestment something the text calls the urim and the thummim. You might think you go to seminary and you learn what all this stuff means. Actually, the greatest historians and Hebraicists we have don't know what it means. So I'm going to give you a guess. This is the guess I like. They may have been a little bit like what we think of as dice, lots that you throw to discern God's will. There's two different ones, and they would be marked with yes and no, or the equivalent. And so if you get two yeses, well, that's a yes. If you get two noes, that's a no. What about when you get a yes and a no? The answer is, no, no, (laughs) which is often the case as we try to discern God's presence, right? It's frustrating. These dice are also a sign of tragedy because, see, Moses spoke to God face to face as a friend with direct knowledge. And then Moses would come down the mountain face shining and tell us what God said. But after Moses, we don't have that kind of unfettered access to God. All we have are these weird dice things, which are often unclear. But God's will is often unclear in our lives, isn't it? I mean, I made a cross-country move because of a banjo that a guy doesn't play. (laughs) Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, casting lots to decide what to do turns out well. Sometimes it does not. And who among us can know the mind of God entirely, right? So this brings us to how we differ from our ancient Israelite forebears. Andrew will not wear vestments like these. We will not cast lots to decide what to do. Y'all had a search committee that scoured North America and found the best candidate. And then you didn't throw lots, did you? Right? 
you had to vote, or whatever it is that we do. Now, in the New Testament, they're still casting lots to decide stuff. So when they have to decide who's going to replace Judas, they do it by lot. And they choose some guy called Matthias, who never appears again in the whole rest of the Bible. My teacher, Stanley Harawas, says that actually might be a good way to choose leaders, because when you're doing it by lot, you're aware it's totally random. When you do all your homework, all the work y'all did, when you check all the backgrounds and the prerequisites, when you cross T's and dot I's, you think you've done all the work. But of course, no one can know the future fully, right? What you've done in making a choice is you've made a wager on this man's character and calling and competence. But none of us knows what's going to happen. That's why prayer is so important, right? You've made a brave decision and many more brave decisions are to come. So I'm not suggesting we cast lots. Um, here's what's not uncertain at all. The identity of the priest we're talking about. It's not Andrew. It's Jesus. He's the one vested in splendor. He wears Israel on his heart and through Israel all the world. In him, we don't cast dice. We know God's answer is always love for us and for all humanity. Now, we still don't know what to do in our lives often enough, right? But we know God is for us. Our priest showed us this with his cross. So we don't have to worry about images of being struck dead by startling God in a tabernacle because Christ was struck dead in Jerusalem by and for our sins. Now God is for all people in all places, all the way to Washington here this evening. So, Andrew, that's your work, to show us that Christ is the world's priest. He conducts traffic between earth and heaven. He speaks to God on behalf of the people in prayer. And he speaks to the people on behalf of God in preaching and teaching. He bears God's laws to the world and the world's troubles to God. You, Andrew, don't have to have all the answers or be right all the time. That's one of the mistakes our leaders in Ottawa and Washington make. They don't realize they're making it. But they can fail. They should be willing to say that. They just can't politically, right? Because Christ never fails. We can say it and beg forgiveness and mercy. Your work, Andrew, is to point to him constantly by your dress, your words, your manner, your demeanor, your everything. That's what you've done up to this point in your life and your family of origin and your marriage your preparation in seminary and your previous pastorates, and it's what you'll do here. And we all pray that it'll be for many happy years to come. We will rejoice in your faithfulness from across the continent and the world. And church, I can't wait to see what God makes of you through him and what God makes of him through you until the day Christ comes and reigns in glory. Congratulations. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Uh, we have not heard Andrew on the banjo yet, um, so there may be many surprises in store for us. Uh, before we begin the formal installation consecration part of the service, I'd just like to say a few words about how WCF and Andrew um, got to this point. Our former pastor, Del Glick, um, who pastored here for nine years, retired in January. He gave us a whole year's notice 
Um, so we had uh, plenty of time to uh, discern and form a pastoral search committee. And that was made up of Jim Martin, Matt Sickle, Jean Thume, Epi Kianya, Lauren Niemeyer, who incidentally just gave birth to a baby boy, and uh, Tara West. The elders, um, in consultation with the congregation, developed a draft pastoral call, which served as a sort of job description that could be advertised. And the pastoral search committee, in consultation with the congregation, um, developed this beautiful document that um, explained a lot more about who we are at Washington Community Fellowship. And the search committee prayed and advertised far and wide, and um, we were blessed with many applications, literally from all over the world, and from many denominations, and pretty much every demographic. Um, but God was very clear in opening doors and closing doors so that the search process narrowed down and um, Andrew emerged as um, what seemed to be the best fit for our congregation. And uh, we were amazed. Um, we, we had monthly prayer themes as a church and we were just amazed at how God seemed to answer every prayer specifically. And uh, little did we know that he would answer our prayers from Canada. Um, and that brings us to Andrew, um, who candidated with us this past spring. And um, he was just this amazing mix of someone who had experience with a lot of different denominations. And we at WCF are a multi-denominational church. Um, he was someone who had a heart for um, vulnerable people uh, which is something that's very important to WCF. And um, we ended up uh, voting to call him as our pastor and extend a call, uh, which he graciously accepted. And um, he moved here uh, with his amazing family, wife Julia and teenage children, Ashley and Evan, and um, we appreciate what a sacrifice that was to move from Vancouver, literally thousands of miles into this crazy city and very unique church. And so we appreciate this, the sacrifice that was to come here, and we are so grateful. And um, what we have now in Andrew, when he began his ministry with us in August. Uh, we found a pastor who was eager to get to know us, to get to know uh, the community around us, who preached engaging sermons, was humble, and had this great sense of humor. And also amazing musical gifts, including banjo, as it turns out. And um, who threw himself into the study of social justice in D.C. and um, the unique social justice issues in America and in this city. And who is actually moving us into the 21st century, technologically speaking. Um, so we'll be seeing more evidence of that. And um, we just appreciate his heart for ministry and his heart for the marginalized among us. And um, we are so grateful to God for leading us to you, Andrew. And grateful to you and your family 
for discerning the call to serve with us here. So thank you. We are also grateful that Luke Schrockhurst will be leading a time of consecration and installation for Andrew. Luke is district minister, uh, Potomac District of Virginia Mennonite Conference. And we also have with us today Clyde Kratz, conference minister with Virginia Mennonite Conference. And um, I'm going to invite Luke and, and Clyde up to the platform. And uh, Jason, please join us. And Andrew, I believe your, your dad is here. Uh, please join us on the platform. Uh, search committee, um, you are welcome up here as well. If you have served as an elder at WCF, you are welcome to come up as well. And I believe we may have um, the Pastor Zook from Hampton Mennonite and Rochelle from Mennonite Central Committee. Um, so come up on the platform for our time. Brothers and sisters in Christ here at Washington Community Fellowship, behold the work of the Spirit of the living God in one life. Raised in a Chinese Mennonite pastor's family, led to the aviation industry as an engineer, then prompted to prepare for ministry, sharing his gifts in pastoral ministry in Vancouver, Canada, and now called by God's Spirit to serve among you here in Washington, D.C. Brother Andrew, the blessing of the living God has again come upon your life and called you to become pastor here with Washington Community Fellowship, leading others into life as you were led into gracious living in Jesus Christ. You have prepared your mind, your heart, your spirit over many years to stand in this place. Like Moses, you stood for a time before the burning bush and wrestled deeply with a call to ministry, your call to ministry, eventually embracing it and like Moses, have led people into life. As well, like Esther, you have been formed, challenged, and called for such a time as this, for such a church as this. And as you stand here with your wife, Julia, before the congregation that you are serving, along with the elders and church council and other friends, on behalf of the Virginia Mennonite Conference, I want to ask you some questions. But before that, I want to ask the congregation a few questions. 
And I would invite you to please answer with a hearty yes to indicate your support of Andrew's call. Sisters and brothers, we have gathered today in the presence of God and this assembly to install Andrew Chung as pastor of Washington Community Fellowship. Are you presenting Andrew for installation today? Yes. Believing that you have been guided by the Spirit of God to call Andrew to be your pastor, do you commend Andrew for this ministry and will you uphold him in it? Yes. And Andrew, do you hold the promises you have made at your baptism and ordination? I do, right? <laughs> Andrew, do you believe that this calling and your acceptance of it are in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit? I do. Will you seek to be faithful in prayer, in studying and proclaiming the gospel from the scriptures? and in seeking the good of this congregation. I will. Will you seek to live honestly, openly, justly with your sisters and brothers in this congregation? I will. And Julia, a few questions for you. Do you affirm Andrew's commitment and call to ministry at Washington Community Fellowship? Do you commit yourself to support Andrew in this ministry? I do. Andrew, we've arrived to a time of anointing and reaffirmation of God's baptismal vows for you in the pattern of Jesus' ministry. Andrew, as a brother of Jesus Christ, in grace and service to his church, May you hear the word for you today in this moment of anointing, the word of the Lord. Behold my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And as the spirit descends on you anew for the task and joy set before you in whatever you will endure in your ministry, I anoint you now with oil in the name of the Creator God, of Jesus His Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Brother Andrew, I lay my hand on you in the name of Jesus, beseeching Him to uphold you and fill you with His grace, that you may know the power of His love and the depth of his peace. Loving God, your son was anointed by the Holy Spirit, not to be served, but to serve. Let your spirit come down upon Andrew in, in all of your fullness. Let Andrew be a minister of your healing love and transforming grace. Let this oil be assigned to Andrew of your presence and protection. Amen. We will now have a time of uh, prayer of prayers of blessing for Andrew. 
um, for any on the platform who may feel led. And we will begin with Jason, and I will close. Lord Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit on Andrew, on Julia, on Ashley, on Evan. Grant them the grace together to know you are God, to delight in you. Bless them in their lives, in this city, their schools, their work, their play, their friendship, their finances. Bless their ministry in this church. Grant grace to Washington Community Fellowship. We pray the gospel would amaze people here that people would see here a glimpse of Christ's beauty and holiness, his justice and compassion. We pray you would draw people to yourself here, that you would raise children in faith here, that you would heal people of illness here, that you would educate against ignorance here. We pray that you would allow the aged to grow old with grace here, that all people would see your face here. Make this the church you dream about, God. And do so through Andrew. Bless all that he's learned up until now from his forebears, his mentors, his teachers, and parishioners. Thank you for his gifts for relationship and teaching and encouragement. Bless him now when those gifts are not enough. Help him when he grows frustrated and tired, when he is out of resources. Grant him patience and grace with himself and others and colleagues. Protect him from all enemies. Transfigure would-be enemies into friends. Give him trusted partners to pray with and advise and encourage him. Life in the church is hard because you are making us all like Christ. There is nothing more difficult and nothing more beautiful. Do that through him and to him and all those he touches in this place, Lord God, for years to come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord God, may Andrew's ears be tuned to you. On, on behalf of us as a church, on behalf of us as individual people in it, may he be drawn to you so that we may be more like you as well. We ask your hand on him, on his family, and on us as we work with him and as we learn and love with him. trees planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose wheat leaf does not wither allow whatever they do to prosper we pray in Jesus name gracious God thank you for the gift of Andrew and Julia and Ashley and Evan among us we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide Andrew and us 
as we seek to both be more like Jesus and serve those around us. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your provision throughout this process. We know that that grace and that love will follow us throughout this time of ministry. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Having installed Andrew as pastor of Washington Community Fellowship, let us join now in a litany of co-missioning. And I invite you all to read the all on the screen along with me. In company with your faithful people in every age, we have called out those gifts for your service, O God. Fill Andrew with the love of Christ and the power of the Spirit as he carries out his ministry in our church. Grant me wisdom, patience, and hope when I falter. Give me joy in serving your church and keep me faithful in this calling. For the ministries taking form within us and for all the callings yet to be, we praise your name, O Lord. Amen. <laughs> 